0: Sometimes I do this, do the witness practice. Um, hey, Ted. Hi. <laughs> i was just about talking that. about my practice. Hey. <laughs> <Yay. laughs>
1: oh, life is a little chaotic here right now. Um, now let me, uh, I'm going to start recording. Um, hope everybody is okay with that. Um, the usual uh, caveat that if you, Jan, are you not okay with that? <laughs> Usual caveat that if no, you want to no, say no, something private, it was, okay, it was not a response. Uh, no worries. Um,
0: and uh, like when you when you hit it, there's a certain place you hit where it's just it feels like you you get on a you, you get on a ride and you're like on the ride uh, once you get to the effortlessness and then it just uh, your energy will just keep building. And your focus will just keep building and you're not like even like doing anything. Um, and so that can get kind of intense, uh, especially if you're focusing on physical sensations. Uh, so the the witness practice, which is I thought it'd be kind of hard to get into this witness state. But even before uh, before getting into like the later stages, uh, I've been in that witness state like spontaneously um, where. Um, it's, it's just like some spontaneous shift that can happen even in like stage four or five, um, where you'll start to feel just detached. Um, like, like you're somehow observing everything that's going on, but like, there's this sense of equanimity that's, uh, uh, really, uh, it really uh, is different than a normal way of seeing the world. But, uh. So in stage eight, like there's kind of a systematic way to get into that state, and I found it pretty effective, like the book's instructions. But I've like experimented a little bit with like different visualizations to use because I'm not like a super visual person. He likes to, I think he he explains it like you you visualize the motion and activity in the world, and then. Um, And then you experience all the activity going on in your body. And then like you can contrast that with your mind Um, I found that to be pretty effective and I don't always get to the witness state, but uh, It's uh, it's just interesting. Um, So I'll be sitting in that witness state and There's like a few things that happen Um, So sometimes I would, I can experience, or it, it seems to be the case that there's a, like at first glance, there's a watcher um, to all the experience happening. And you're kind of uh, at this vantage point where it all happens and you're just, it it feels like you're watching, like you're having a, a seat and you're uh, observing this. But if you look a little bit closer for what the sensations associated with being the watcher are, those sensations also form this, uh, you know, fall into the composite of everything else being experienced. So those sensations of watching are just another, another part of everything else going on, and um, you can experience that, and then, um, you know that's pretty it's a nice it's a nice place to go because there's no suffering there um there's very little suffering in that state and i think it it says something about like suffering and what causes suffering um and so i'll try to notice like uh, i'll try to notice when i start to feel some sort of suffering some subtle like contracting around some sensation or liking or disliking try to see the process that's happening when that's going on and that's really uh nice to go it's it's really uh clear in the in the witness state that he talks about um, so yeah I've, I've been doing that practice a while like you can you can get better and better at it and uh, it's it's sort of a like exploratory and fun but um yeah, that's what I kinda been doing. Um I do I just do sometimes I just do um uh, like I just go up to the fourth jhana and hang out there because it's nice.
2: alright Because um uh, do you do you have like a because um like three, four months ago I managed to reach stage eight practices like pretty regularly. And now last week, I also experienced uh, stage-based practices uh, more often. Um, I also get that feeling when I when I do choiceless attention, like even today, just now, like an hour ago, it felt like uh, the experience was just a screen and everything got projected into it. Like it was all loose phenomena. And the sense of the watcher that also had like, was just a loose, a loose phenomena uh which just was projected into the screen so uh yeah i i think that's what i'm experiencing more and more as well um do you do you see, is there like a difference for you between choiceless attention and uh the witness version or um um
0: so with I. I, I Yeah, there's definitely a difference Um, with choiceless attention. I feel like I'm not necessarily trying to do anything except notice whatever my mind is, like, going towards and then just keep a metacognitive perspective and see it. Like, yeah, um, the way I do that, I'm I'm not sure if this is, like, exactly how it's described in the book, but you stay at the breath and then allow the intention to go to whatever it is called to, and then it it should automatically come back when that whatever stimulus is over. And so that's kind of the intention I hold. And I don't know if I get as much out of that as doing the witness, but uh, it definitely leads to a very clear uh, energetic state and I think that for me, it lends it lends itself to more, uh, more of a seeing of impermanence because I'll notice like vibrations and things. And uh, it could just be, you know, that's what I'm noticing most in that practice. But I think I, mot- I notice more impermanence when I'm doing that practice versus in the witness. It's, I think that lends itself a lot more to seeing the, uh, it will blink out um, because without craving craving basically is part of a process that leads to experience The experience is inherently part of a chain of things that involve craving so without craving um there's no experience uh in the way that we think of it like becoming uh like continuing a certain experience without craving that's that's when the mind like goes into cessation. Um, when there's fully no craving, there isn't any normal sense phenomena going on, basically. Um, and that's what I've that's been my experience, right? Like I noticed the moment before there's no craving, you can see it. Uh, there's you know very little craving, um, and everybody. Like it's not a special thing about any one person's mind that can let go of craving. Anybody's mind can let go of craving in any moment. Um, it's uh, I, I don't want to get too like theoretical about it, but that's been my experience. Is it's it's very uh, closely related to craving the uh, the uh, the why for why a cessation happens, at least for me.
2: Alright, um, yeah, maybe I am. Um, if I, um, if I'm able to reach like sage eight more often after this week, then I can investigate it more as well and see what happens.
0: Um, yeah, I would say, I would say, don't worry about phenomena. Just keep doing what you're doing. Phenomena are just phenomena. They just happen.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not worrying uh, about it. But I had a question about stage eight, actually, and I think you're maybe the, the best person to ask. And that has to do with choiceless attention. Because when I do choiceless attention, like after a while, grade three and four pity arise. Um, and uh, the the I, what I don't get is in the book, um, he says like um, you should ignore uh, grade three and four uh, pity if you're doing choiceless attention your attention can shift freely so it can also fall on the pity um so should i like um ignore or like get my attention away from the pity then in choiceless attention should you do a different um uh different exercise um
0: Uh, okay so my experience with that is um uh when i'll do the choiceless attention like sometimes for example i'll feel like Uh, i'll be sitting down and feel like i'm standing up or uh different uh like energy sensations going on sometimes really really pleasant um sometimes more jarring um and these are all just things that are happening that your mind can uh observe as an object they're just objects in the mind um so i think the key is whether the mind is getting uh latched onto something if the mind is uh observing something and not getting preoccupied with that thing, um, and you'll be able to tell if your mind's getting preoccupied with some sensation, um, I think the key is that you just don't, you don't stick on any one thing, right? Like if a noise in the environment is an object that your mind goes to in that practice, when, when the noise is over, your mind goes back to the breath right if you feel an energy sensation your mind will experience the energy sensation and it's not only the one sensation but the different sensations that make up that sensation right um and once that series of sensations is over the mind will go back to the breath um and so if there's any like hanging around or any thoughts coming up like gee i really like this sensation I would like it to continue then um, that's a sign that uh, either make sure either either go back to stage seven work a little more I guess or um, maybe that's just not the right practice at the moment All right. but, but yeah I mean the phenomena that you're gonna be experiencing are, are, are gonna be a l- largely bodily sensations because the mind is a uh, what are they what's the word they use uh tamed or the mind's compliant by that point so you don't get caught up in mental uh since sens- mental proliferation so it's going to be mostly physical sensations
2: um, yeah yeah okay now that that makes it clear it's like that different like um how you perceive it that, that that's yeah that's how um how I perceive it as well, so I think.
0: And um, also, I think important importantly, is not the, the, the perspective that you're experiencing things with is the most important thing. So you wanna be experiencing things from a metacognitive perspective, because the whole point is to observe the effect of the different phenomena on your mind. Phenomena, are just phenomena, if your mind is just bouncing around to different phenomena, Um, you, where the insight comes in is having the metacognitive perspective on things. So in addition to the physical phenomena, you can observe mental phenomena that are associated with that physical phenomena. So for example, um, in choiceless attention you will probably notice and experience dependent arising because you, if you're having a metacognitive perspective, you'll see that there's a sensation, there's a um, judgment, a very quick judgment moment in your mind of liking and disliking. There's um, craving, there's pursuing, um, different types of mental moments that follow a physical sensation, and that's that kind of stuff you won't see unless you're having a specific intention for metacognition. So that's that's also important too.
2: All right. Yeah.
0: So I don't know if that any of that sounds familiar, but
2: yeah, yeah, it does definitely. Yeah, that helps a lot. Um, yeah. Thanks for that. Um, Also, um, oh well, yeah, we have been talking a lot, so maybe. Yeah, I don't want to
0: like take up all the time. <laughs> I actually have some some questions that I want to bring up myself that hopefully Ted could help with, and anybody else that's got thoughts. Um, After
1: listening to that, I'm not sure, but I'm certainly happy to try.
0: Yeah, um, so there's there's been a thing coming up in life that's kind of like needs to be addressed. Um, It it seems to be the case that with uh, spiritual practice and uh, realizing certain things that Um, the normal way of functioning in the world doesn't seem to make sense anymore, but that normal way of functioning in the world may still be beneficial for survival. Um, So if I'm, let's say, um, I had this big watershed moment and I lose a bunch of craving, right? And there's no craving for a while. And um, I have, I have a choice to make in life and there's different ways that I could go that require a certain sense of agency and assertiveness and um, sort of a direction basically. Um, there, come, there seems to be a conflict coming up where uh, I need to like I need to make an extra effort to put in place the default programming to get things done in the world because that seems to not be my default mode anymore. Um, so like I'm, I'm applying for jobs right now mm-hmm. and I'm finding that without being very assertive and very aggressive. Um, things are probably not going to go very well. Uh, So I'm having to like go above and beyond in that department. Uh And so I guess it's not really a question, but I want to bring up the topic because on the one hand, there's spiritual bypassing that can happen. Um, And on the other hand, there's, there's truly, some difference going on that is really leading to what seems to be a problem. I mean, it doesn't really seem to be a problem, but I could see how, you know, it would be a better thing in the world to have a good job, right? Um, it, it would it would just be better for, for yep. me, for people around me to have a good job. And this is just practical things in the world. like. In the world you just need to like function a certain way to like get things done yep and it seems to be that spiritual practice in a way in certain ways if you're not careful can totally fuck that up uh, yep. if you're not careful yes so if you don't make a point of like noticing that yeah there's this default way that is still useful to function in the world mm-hmm. and um, you know even if I'm still okay with it, I don't wanna be living uh, on people's couches and you know. Right, so
1: so. yeah, so let me tell you about the last six months of my life, or the last six weeks rather, because I think it's relevant. Um, I actually came to, I think I come at this from a very different angle than you do, but I think we're coming at the same thing, so hopefully this will be helpful. Um, And I'm not saying you should do what I did, but I'm just saying, what I what my process was because I think you might find something useful in that which is um starting about like a week before Christmas so I I just I, I don't know if I I might have alluded to this in the last meetup or or if you've seen other email from me I had a deadline that ended on Thursday and it was kind of a killer deadline and you can see how that would interact with what you just said right killer deadline like why the fuck would you do that <laughs> uh, pardon my uh, uh, profanity but um, so, so what happened was uh, before Christmas I was like okay I need to start on this project and I could just feel all of these negative like all of this craving and all of this all of this aversion coming up about having to do that thing and and it was like really obvious to me that that's what was going on like this is a thing I think it needs to be done but my way of engaging with it is through craving and aversion. And I was just like, to hell with that. I am not engaging with this through craving and aversion. This is not how I'm gonna proceed with this thing. If I lose my job, that's okay. It's better to lose my job than to keep doing this damn craving and aversion thing for the rest of my life, right? So um, so what I did was I just waited. And of course, I mean, you know, so, so my mind is in a different place than yours are. So I think for you, the craving probably just wouldn't have come up. And so it wasn't really an issue, but for me, the craving and the aversion were still coming up and, uh, and it was getting uncomfortable um, because you know, it's like, okay, there's this deadline looming. I really need to get this thing done for the deadline. Uh, When I started, I had plenty of time. Now I don't have plenty of time. I should probably start now. Okay there's craving and aversion coming up. That's what's motivating me to start now. So I'm not going to do that.
3: <laughs> so, actually,
1: <laughs> right. So what happened was, uh, and it was, it was actually a really interesting process. So, so I was kind of going through this thing and for a, after, after a bit of that, I started to get out of the habit of, of being motivated by craving and aversion. And I mean, it was a fairly quick process, right? I mean, this, this took place over the course of about four weeks. Uh, so, by the by, the third week, I was starting to kind of work on the project when I wasn't feeling craving an aversion towards working on the project, which wasn't very fast. So I was working at a pretty low key rate, and then um, I had a meeting with my manager and my manager's manager where we talked about the deadline and um, and talked about sort of like the it would be good if thing that you just mentioned, right? And, you know, of course, I'm not telling them any of what's going on for me. Like, like as far as they're concerned, I'm just a fuck-up. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but but the, the engagement that I had with them was them talking about how cool it would be to get this thing done. And at the end of the meeting, I felt this joy coming up about doing the work that had nothing at all to do with craving and aversion and nothing at all to do with, like, Maybe it did. Maybe it's a more subtle form. I don't know. I mean, don't, don't, don't quote me on this, but, but, um, basically this joy was coming up. And so I was able to turn, and I didn't actually have to do anything, honestly. Like once that happened, um, it just became obvious what I needed to do. And I started doing it and I worked steadily for, for two weeks without really stopping. Um, and uh, you know, I still found like every so often, like craving or fear or something like that would come up, and every time that came up, I just like noted it and uh, tried to get, tried to like um, allow it to subside rather than letting it be what moved me forward. And towards the end, it actually got a little difficult because, see, you know, I'm, I'm still not—it's not natural for me to do this—but, but, but, um, but, I found that there was always something it was always, there was always some way that I could be working on it that was joyful and not, not craving oriented. And um, so So that's one, one thing about that is, is, is just to tell you about that process that I went through. The other thing is, um, this is something that I thought about a lot because I talked to a lot of people in location four and what you're describing is kind of a location four plus situation. Um, and uh, for people who are in location four, the problem you're describing is really common. In fact, Jeffrey, avo- Jeffrey Martin avoids location four because he doesn't want to get into that situation where he's not motivated to do things. Personally, I'm like, fuck that. I want to I be able to do things without feeling craving and aversion. Um, and, and like, I want to be able to be a useful, like, you know, I, I, the thing that, that I can do that nobody else can do, I want to do, right? And it's not really that I want to do it it's it's that it's that it's obvious that it should happen and so so that's the thing that I've been trying to use as a way to motivate me and what I think might be happening when you get into that place where you where you uh, craving and aversion have dropped so you don't have any craving and aversion motivating you to do the thing and that's what always motivated you to do things and you don't really know of another way to do things except for craving and aversion you just don't you just don't have like that mechanism in place. It's not there. And so, um, we'll get to that in a minute, Steve. Um, so, uh, so so, what winds up happening is you get into the situation and it actually gave a new meaning for me to the Zen koan. What is the sound of one hand clapping? I always used to think that that meant like if you don't do karma, like you, know, you don't get a result. But I think it actually might be pointing to a location for issue as well, which is um, there's a tendency when you, when you realize that agency isn't, isn't a natural thing, that it's a contrived thing, right, which is what you're talking about, um, then there's a tendency to think, well, then that means that I can't do anything because there's no agency. Agency is a contrived thing. But that's actually an agentive act. Deciding not to act on the basis of agency is a decision. Right. Right. And so um, so so what I'm what I think and, uh, you know, this is like all new to me and I'm not claiming that I that I know what the answer to this is. But I will suggest to you that there may be an answer to it in just noticing that, like, you know, I mean, do you ever like, you know, not eat breakfast because you don't have agency?
0: No, I still eat breakfast just because, you know,
1: just because it's the thing that needs to be done at this moment to do it. Yeah, and you might have noticed, I don't know if you've noticed. This is something that I noticed a while ago. Um I'll be in my um I'll be in the kitchen and like I had a a bit of an obstacle to like cleaning the kitchen, right? So I'd be in the kitchen and there'd be all this mess and I'd be like, you know, screw that, I don't want I don't want to clean that stuff up. Uh and then after all of this agency stuff started popping, um I found myself, I was in the kitchen, I was about to prepare breakfast, the counter was a mess, and there was no way to prepare breakfast without kind of pushing everything aside. And instead of doing that, which is what I would habitually do, without even thinking about it, I just automatically cleaned the kitchen. It just happened. It wasn't something I had to do, it just happened. I was, there. this was doing it, but there wasn't like some decision that was made to do it. It just was done. And um, so I think that that is, um, I think, I, I don't know that this is true. This is my theory. I think that is how you motivate yourself or how motivation arises in you when you no longer have craving and aversion. And so then the question you have to, there are a couple of questions you have to ask yourself. One is, is what you think you, is what you think it would be good to be doing actually what would be good to be doing? So that might be a reason why you're not inclined to do it, Right. Um, and the other is, um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, so you're not inclined to do it, uh, because it's not the thing to do. Or the other thing is, um, you may just not have noticed why you should be doing it. Like you, you might have some assumption about why you should be doing it. Like I should be doing this because I need to eat. Well, yeah. Yeah. And and if you can make that work, like I actually would have been able to make it work, not for me, but for Andrea. So like when Andrea needs to eat or Andrea needs to have her health insurance paid for or something like that, that can be a motivation for me, even though I don't need to do those things because Andrea needs me to do those things. So then that becomes a necessary thing to do. Um, And then, uh, so that's one way to look at it. And the other way to look at it, which is what I described in my meeting two weeks ago, which is there's somebody else who, who like, so I'm a person that can do this thing. Like I'm probably the person who can do this thing. Uh, or if not the person, certainly I'm a good person to be doing this thing. And here are these people who want me to do this thing and look at how happy they're going to be if I do it. And then it just sort of, it's like, Oh, well I'll just do it for them. And, and there's not a decision happening. It's just sort of spontaneous. It just kind of arises like, Oh, you know? and, And so like, I have no idea, like, the last time that I worked as hard as I did the last two weeks was when I was 18. Like literally I haven't worked that hard since then. And it was because back then I was just, I was doing it for the joy of, of being a geek. And you know, so, so I think that there is a power to like, just, just, you know, if you, if you don't know why you're doing something, just stop and think about why you're doing it and try to try to understand the bigger picture. And see if you can find a way for the bigger picture to um, to help to produce the, the the motivation. And if you can't, well, uh, maybe that's not what you should be doing. Um, you know that that said, I mean Jeffrey does talk about people, people when people land in the later locations. Uh, it's really common to have problems like this, and particularly when you go past location four. Um, it's actually potentially life threatening. Uh, if you go past location four and you don't have a support network, you can wind up in that place where there's no craving, there's no aversion. You don't need to do anything and you just wind up in a puddle of urine on the floor for a week. Seriously.
2: And there's, um, I think, uh, Joseph Goldstein has also a podcast about like, uh, uh equanimity and the near enemy of that indifference. Mm. Um, I think that one might, uh, apply to this situation as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, it, it sounds also like indifference. And the reason you can do things is to still like, for example, reduce suffering in the world, um, for other, for other beings, other people, yep. um, instead for, not for yourself. So let's say you, you are like very thirsty and, um, if you don't drink, um, You'll die, uh, but you have like no aversion, no craving, nothing at all. so it doesn't matter to you um, so you're indifferent in that situation, but e equanimity would tell you maybe something more about that there's still suffering to be reduced in the world, even though it's not mine, yeah. there's still other uh there's still other beings, so in that case, it's smarter to drink water, um stay healthy and alive, and help others. Um so that I can look for the podcast if you like. I'm not sure which one it was, but
0: yeah, I listened to the latest Patreon and Chiladaso was talking about something similar, I think. Well, no, he's talking about the point of life, right? And uh Oh yeah. The point of life is to have fun. And I really uh got what he was saying because like you can either like okay so you so okay let's see so you you've you've ended personal suffering okay great so what are you gonna do are you gonna are you gonna sit like a lump on a log are you gonna go out and do stuff in the world because like both of those are equivalent so why not just like do the more variety the more varied thing the more interesting thing and you know maybe help somebody at the same time like that's yeah, that's that's probably better than uh sitting around doing nothing. Uh even though, you know, you see those two things as both the same. They're all, they're both suchness <laughs> as people would say, right? Um but yeah, I really I really enjoyed listening to him talk about uh the point of life. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, what you said, Ted, Ted is uh, very helpful. Um, so I have to I'll have to think about that. Um, so thanks.
1: Yeah. Now, do you know? Um, uh, trying to remember, you know, uh, bathtub Bob. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. The, he, he was. He like shot up very high in the stages very quick.
1: Yeah. So he's, he's been through a lot of this stuff and and actually asked me a lot of the same questions. And he's, he's in a place where, where he could probably give you a different perspective than I have on this that you might find useful. So I would encourage you to be in touch with him. He really loves answering people's questions about this. So it's not like you'd be imposing.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right. Well, we have three hands up. So, um, uh, who wants to, I guess, uh, Mike had a question about locations. Is that is that what your hand is up about?
4: No, I just wanted to um, jump in on the reply to the conversation um, mm-hmm. before we moved on. So before we move on, um, uh, I wanted to mention that's also something that I was, I'm very interested in um, in terms of livelihood and, and the desire for that and um, going through probably exact, very, very similar to what. You were mentioning Sam, although not in the stages as as late where they where I would feel the kind of as much uh, indifference to the craving and all that. Um, One of the two two things that I wanted to mention about that is I um, uh, for motivation, what I come back to is a uh, it was I haven't gone into it too deep, but it was mentioned a bit by Shinzen Young about. Meditating so much that people, their bodies break down. And he said, one of the one of the things you you don't do is you keep your body healthy so that you can continue to meditate and continue. And that's kind of the the one of the tenets of uh, what he's talking about is um, the ultimate goals. Don't sacrifice your body to meditate. The goals is to is be be around for as long as possible. That you're able to meditate so that means taking care of your body and all that and for me if it comes motivating to okay well i don't want to buy material possessions i don't need to the money for that um but in terms of my health yeah it's it's better to have z- no, z- not have zero dollars in your bank account when it comes to uh being healthy and all that and if i'm not healthy and i can't meditate anymore then, we're, then there's no progression to be made anymore. So that's kind of a larger picture motivation for me um, that helps. Um, and another thing is, I haven't read through this whole book, but there was a book um, specifically about um, Buddhism and working in modern day America or modern day uh, society. Um, it's called The Buddha Walks Into the Office by Lodro Rinsler and um, and I believe he's—that's he, coming from the kind of Tibetan side. But he tries to go in and answer questions about. Uh, yeah, it's a nice. Title. Uh, he's got a few like that. The Buddha walks into the bar or something like that. And it's about like <laughs> society and things like that. Buddha, a it,
1: rabbi and a priest walking. The- <laughs> yeah,
4: I kind of, yeah, I think it's based on so a joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I haven't gone through the whole book, uh, but I was looking into because he's addressing a lot of things like um why our the work environment is so cold and kind of off-putting and where does motivation fit into that and where does your motivation and 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 choosing what you want to do um and it might be something to worth reading to kind of i don't know if it might change your perspective you know in a different state or something like that and i'll type it down there and put the link so you can see and i myself haven't gone through the whole book i was kind of looking specifically for things on and actually what ted was talking about which was fighting procrastination in the workplace and, and the aversion and all that um but i i started the beginning so hopefully that helps uh a yeah, little
0: bit the suggestion that actually sounds like a the book that I'm looking for if I, if I had to like guess what the title would be <laughs> the first thing you think of right the Buddha walks into the workforce
4: <laughs> yeah so yeah I mean and I, and I actually just saw it by accident at the library so there might actually be more relevant or even better books um addressing that topic I haven't done too much research on that but if you are going to look for that or any other books and you come across I'd love to hear if you want to report back like in another group another in the future if you come across anything, because it's also a subject that I'm I'm really interested in as well. Sure, yeah. So I'll put that in there. And that was all I had I'll let the other hand raisers jump in. Thanks, Mike. Sure.
1: Uh so um you you've you've studied bodhisattva stuff, right?
0: Who are you talking to? Sam? Um, uh, no, I'm not too familiar with the Bodhisattva path. Okay. Um, I've been, uh, if I had to put myself into a main uh, branch of Buddhism, I would say I am more familiar with Theravada Buddhism.
1: Okay. I would encourage you to uh, look into the six perfections. Um, not because it's necessarily the right direction for you to go, but just because it'll be interesting grist for the mill, like it'll be an interesting thing to connect to. And the other thing is, um, like, you know, the world is perfect, right? It's exactly as it is. But do you see things that, that you would change about it? Uh, yeah. Right. So but that's
0: part of it, right?
1: <laughs> well, right. The, the fact that you... Not only so, the opportunity to change it is part of it. Yes, the awareness that there is a thing about it that could change is part of it, and the act of 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 uh, allowing that motivation to arise in you and follow it is part of it. So, um,
0: I've been waiting for somebody to geek out about that same exact concept with because <laughs> that's, that, I, I've been having that sense lately that right. like. Everything is just happening the way it's supposed to happen, so right. like I cannot get angry or i, I can't yeah. I can't really make a big deal of this, right. but you know people are telling me that that this is a big deal, so maybe um. I should listen to them <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so so the point of that is that is that there's so much broken about the world, and really like um. I don't. Do you ever do you ever read my blog? I'm not claiming that my blog is awesome, but I'm just curious if
0: you read it. No, I do read it. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, you, do you remember the post I wrote about like like the kindest thing you can ever do?
0: Um, I don't. Th- I think I started to read that one. I got distracted, but uh, <laughs> I read that one.
1: So, so what? The point was that the kindest thing that you can ever do is just to see things clearly. And why is that? It's because if you see things clearly, then you are no longer um, acting out of a like, like the tendency is to act out of a, um, a motivation that has to do with your idea of how things should be rather than acting out of an awareness of how things are. And um, the more that you can get your mind into a place where you can act out of an awareness of how things are, the more able you are to actually do the thing that we were just talking about, where you see like, okay, things are this way, but part of things being this way is that I can do this. And this is a thing that could be done. And it's a thing that might be worth doing. So if you can then act and, and it's like, you know, who's acting and and is it you and is there agency? I mean, it doesn't really matter that there's this, like, I think there's this subtle resistance that that's, that's like part of the process of rejecting the old motivations, like the the motivation of, of of aversion and the motivation of desire, like there's there, that actually creates this this very subtle aversion that um, stops you from actually doing the thing that's obvious. And so, and because because you have no desire, because you have this equanimity, that that tiny little bit of aversion is enough to do it. But if you can notice that it's happening and release it, then. You just start doing stuff.
0: Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. There's like a very small activation barrier to yeah. doing things.
4: Um, I like that.
0: Activation. Yeah, it's a chemistry term. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a chemist. I'm a geek. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't want to take up all the time though. You
1: know. Yeah, well, so Jan still has his hand up, so maybe we should let Jan say what he wants to say or ask what he wants to ask.
2: Um, yeah, I think uh, I got all my all my uh, questions answered by Sam uh, before you, uh, you joined. That. But I okay. um, I wanted to let you know I um, I went to Tucker Peck's, um weekly meetup as well and asked about the heart thing uh, I was mentioning last week and mm-hmm. um, he said it was probably a heart opening mm-hmm. and it had to do with that. So it's more like a purification thing. And it was like, all fine, it's just happening on its own, just normal and that kind of stuff. So that was good news. Nice. And um, I also, um, like last week, I had like a lot of trouble with the practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, felt like suffocated and stuff like that. And then I did more like a do nothing practice and then I got a sense of gratitude. Mm. And after that, uh, it went, like, my practice skyrocketed again. Nice. Uh, Jana's stage eight stuff, everything came back, um, which was really nice. I also did a fast during that time, um, which is quite interesting. Um, but then today, um, I was wondering that, uh, maybe a question for Sam. Um, today, I was, like, ten minutes in the four, Jana, And after that, I... Came into like a space, like, um, wait, you, yeah. which
0: jhana you said? You said Before, the fourth
2: jhana? Yeah, okay. And after, like, after a while, I was trying to do like expanding the, the space, like to get into the fifth jhana. And really, after a while, it felt like I was in a different place somewhere else. Uh, yeah, like, really of being in a different, like mention and place and then i popped out it was like that moment had like a like open my eyes uh i was like whoa what the fuck and then i was like back in my room uh but it was like yeah it really seemed like different place different somewhere else is yeah that maybe, Is that familiar with the sense uh yeah does it sound familiar
0: um yeah that sounds uh familiar to me um so the first time I got into the formless realms, uh, it was kind of scary. It's it's very, it's kind of scary at first because uh, the body sensations drop away. And uh, it can be startling, especially if it happens just like spontaneously. Like for me, the first time the fifth Jhana showed up, um, it was just, just because I was hanging out in fourth Jhana. And eventually, if you just hang out there long enough, um, uh, I don't don't even ask me why but it seems like with the jhanas they they have this progression up you just you, you the mind it's there's there's a, a fabrication process going on and as as you go higher in the jhanas there's less fabrication of reality basically and as you're as you get more experience with them i think it spontaneously starts to be the case that there's less fabrication and your mind will go to the next jhana um, so for me, it was like spontaneous the first time I got into the fifth, and uh, you know you pop out really quick because you don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah, it sounds totally familiar. Uh, okay. I would suggest not like trying to force anything too much. Like I, I don't I don't like how Lee Brazington gives you specific instructions to get to the next jhana because I don't think that's really what jhana practice, I, I, I don't think it's helpful for jhana practice, because uh, in jhana practice, my experience has been that part of the uh, value of the practice is seeing what your mind does and to get to the next one, like seeing, seeing how your mind uh, starts to drop the fabrication. Um, and if you're trying to force something, if you're trying to go to the next one by trying some trick um, you you don't see that spontaneous process happening so it can be really valuable to once you get um, once you get enough familiarity with the jhanas, um you'd be surprised uh, how you can literally just have an intention to go into the jhana and just let your mind go, uh, go as high up as it's going to go and then come back down. Um, And it'll happen spontaneously, which is the weirdest thing. And if you have the metacognitive awareness, you can like, sort of like, see the ride happening and see what's going on as you switch from each one to the next. And that's super powerful. Um, So I guess my point there is like, there's ways of going from the fourth to fifth intentionally, but I think, it's better to just let it happen.
2: Uh, okay, cool. Um, because, yeah, that seems like with the first four, it seems more like that it does happen like fluently. And then with the fifth, it was more like with a kind of effort, you could say, to reach, to reach it, which was interesting uh, as well. Um, but, yeah, the that also sounds uh, kind of familiar. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, those those formless things are, you know, it's like they're kind of like meditative trophies in a way, like they're not really that important. Um,
2: It's kind of cool.
0: cool But it's, you know, it's like nobody needs the formless jhanas to like wake up, you know, (laughs) like, I, I don't know. I mean, like if you're a super powerful meditator, like Sariputta, and you can like do super strong vipassana, in the formless realms? Like sure, yeah, I mean, that can be a way to wake up. But like nobody's, you know, what if you're not Puta? right?
1: And didn't he like have this issue that, that like he was actually, or was that Ananda who had uh, trouble getting getting uh, getting to stream entry and or getting to, to Nirvana until finally, like the Buddha, you know, anyway, it's not important.
0: I think it might have been uh, Ananda yeah, sorry, I, is um, like my my role model. <laughs> <Buddhist>. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. so are you are you familiar with uh, with the Tibetan version of the Heart Sutra?
0: Um, I, I think I've seen it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because like he's the he's the big star in that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah he's, my, he's my favorite guy, besides the Buddha. But yeah, I mean, my point is my point being like there's. Uh, you you can get all technical and meditative and stuff and like that's not really the point um, The point is like You know if you can go to stage three and wake up That's that's better than spending all time all you know, spending you know than hanging out in stage ten and never waking up basically
2: Yep, yeah, and of
0: course. just like yeah. I don't know just keep it in perspective, you know, the jhanas the are cool. Eventually, uh, eventually, it's weird. The mind will just start to get indifferent towards the jhanas, too. Like, you've seen them. It's like, okay, cool. Jhanas are cool. Nice. Um, I don't need to do jhanas every time I sit, you know. Um, and when that happens, uh, I think that's a good marker uh, in a way.
2: Okay. And I also noticed more like, um, off cushion, more like a subtle pity in my body, um, flowing.
0: Yeah. So, um, if you, uh, I don't want to take up all the time. If somebody else has got questions, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like a hog with, with all the time. And just me and John talking, but the, the off cushion PT is, um, it's something useful for Samatha, whatever you, however you want to pronounce it. Because if you, if you're getting that off cushion PT, uh, there's, you can be walking around. It's a pretty mundane task to be walking around, right? Like say you're walking to work and you're feeling some uh, PT. Um, there's no reason not to like see where that goes and just let the mind like rest in it. Um, because that, it just, it just conditions your mind to, uh, find pleasure and fulfillment in things not of the world. And so I'm a huge fan of Jonic stuff when you can, when you can do it.
2: All right. Yeah.
0: So yeah, if if you, if you have Jonic sensations going on, I would say go have fun
2: with them. Yeah. Right now, Ethan, when I'm sitting here, it's, uh, It's weird. It's really nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And um, also, for people wondering, I also picked up a book um, or maybe it's interesting for other people, a book about um, dream yoga um, by Andrew Holoshek. Hollis, um, so this, this guy is also like um, level stages where you can integrate like meditation and stuff into your dream. um, oh yeah like
0: that's a whole another rabbit hole like people are pretty (laughs) ambitious like they want to be in rig pod during their sleep and like you know like every waking and sleeping moment they want to be perfectly like enlightened that that's a pretty high goal i would say
2: yeah but i i experienced like a lot of dreams and lucid dreams as well now i had one tonight last night and then sometimes i'm like what should i do in my lucid dreams and like there's not really a desire to do anything more. So you and, like,
0: spontaneously experienced lucid dreams?
2: I'm now like training more on them, but I had one like spontaneously, yeah. And after that, I also like I experienced like a lot of vivid dreams and those weren't necessarily pleasant, so um, I thought like lucid dreaming might help and uh, after that I found out it's like fun um, and now I'm just like, okay, well what shall I do now in the lucid dreams? I thought I let's just try this. But the first things are are kind of like more exploratory, like flying and
0: yeah, that's what I was gonna yeah. say. Like, hmm, what's the first thing I would try in a lucid dream? Yeah. <laughs>
2: flying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's now uh, the flying skill is uh, I can do that now. <laughs> this mm. is really fun.
0: That's that's okay. really cool. I mean, I've had I've had hit, I've had spontaneous ones, but I I've never really tried to develop the ability. But uh, I think people people see a lot of potential there.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really interesting. It's like yeah, continuously being aware, and uh, yeah, I think it, it may help. But you know. So
1: um, oh, look, Oscar Oscar just arrived. Um, <laughs> Cool. So, uh, Mike, Steve, Ben, do you guys have practice questions that we should try to get to? Oh, and then Oscar left. Oh, well.
5: Yeah. I I don't really have questions, but I just want to say, this is really, I'm really, this has been really fun. It's very, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of mostly doing stage six practices. Um, but it's very inspirational for me to kind of hear some of what might come at some point. Um, and then it, it's just a matter of, of kind of balancing, um, kind of thinking about that with, with with kind of not either scripting or, or um, uh, trying to sort of get ahead of myself just to kind of enjoy it. You know enjoy what i'm doing as i'm doing it but i i yeah i just wanted to say i think this has been a pretty cool uh session so it's been really interesting to hear hey yeah.
1: do give yourself permission to uh to reach the later stages though don't feel like you know it's your duty to do stage six until <laughs> whatever <laughs>
5: Yeah, I, thought yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll like sometimes try a little bit of like the early stage sevens. But I also have to, you know, I you sort of have to let things happen yeah, as they're happening. You know, I'm trying not to kind yeah. of push too fast.
0: But. Yeah. Cool. I Do think you? it's nice just oh. to appreciate how nice stage six is compared to like uh, how much relatively how much effort there is before that. And you get to stage six. It's kind of a relief because there's no dullness anymore and uh, attention's pretty stable. That can be really nice just to just enjoy that, that, uh, that fact, you know, just appreciate that fact that.
5: Yeah. And it's not kind of like stage four was kind of just one purificate, you know, one kind of these sort of strong things coming up and stage six is a lot more, it's, it is easier. You're right.
1: <laughs> Steve, you had your hand up a while ago.
3: Well, I'm afraid most of my thoughts are contrarian, so I don't know. if <laughs> Muddy the water. It's, like, it's a lot of it. It's, um, I'll, I'll try and muddy just a little. It's like a lot of what, what we're saying, it sounds like addiction doesn't sound like anything positive for, you know, a human, you know, if you're getting to that point where you know, you have to just keep doing it, or you're doing, you know, what it was the purpose of doing it. If you're, you know, like getting to the point where you're just covered in urine and that, and it also yeah. sounds like a I lot wasn't trying of,
1: to imply that that was good.
3: <laughs> no, but I mean, all of it is like where you just keep experiencing this. It's like it is also uh, a lot of there seems to be a lot of elitism. It's like you, this is fine as long as you know you're not you're not joyful in your job, and you, so you don't want to do it, or you don't want to suffer. You know, it's like that's fine as long as you have family or friends or somebody that, you know, can support you, you know, but, you know, you're thinking you're a person in the uh, caravan fleeing Guatemala because, you know, you're being murdered and, uh, you know, women are being raped and then you get to the border and your kid gets taken away. And, you know, you're, you can't really, you don't have these opportunities to say, well, you know, I'm going to, I don't really feel joyful about trying to find my kid, you know, it's like, you know, or if you were living in, you know, when you were living in Poland, when, uh, you know, the Nazis and the Soviets all came in, you know, it's like, whoa, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not into suffering, you know, but it's like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you know, I think a lot, you know, for me, understanding the reason to do, John, is, is to get absorption, so you can get insight. And part of the insight is, is like, you know, you know it's it's what what are the things you need to do as a human being you know it's not necessarily just you know to get high on on this you know not to say you know i, I get it sounding very negative but i'm just talking from my own point of view my own personal experiences through life my earlier lives you know more you know doing using the you know, chemical means as part of that uh, dependency early in my life, you know, so that's a phase of my life that I was able to get out of, you know, and I, you know, had a family and kids and grandkids and all that. So, you know, I'm not saying it's the perfect life, but I think that we have a romanticized version of Buddhism and Eastern religion. You know, if you look at, you know, the... Uh, Catholicism and Christian religion, and you see the things that they were doing in the 14th century, or even you know later. It's like you know you're doing self uh, flogging, and you know all these things where you're good. You know it's like that was life was a mystical experience, and you know we don't have we we have hidden a, a depth of the history of that, and uh, you know we don't have that for the Eastern religion. So you know a lot of the things that are going on in, in Christian religion is going has gone on over history and Buddhism and you know the Buddha the guy that made Buddhism popular just like you know Constantine made Christianity spread throughout the world. He was a warrior and he's like known as the biggest killer ever, you know, and all these there's a lot of politics behind Buddhism. And you have the the Japanese Zen, you know, uh, samurai monks were like notorious rapers and murderers and torturers and you know so all these things you know are standing you know you know to me Buddhism is as as it's as a religion it's just as bad as as uh,
2: Christianity
3: it's just we're not as familiar with it as that so my whole point is um you know I don't um you know I don't I think that it's it's it should be balanced and if If I'm at the point where I can't uh you know do what's necessary for my family and for people that i I know it's not not a positive practice for me to do so right. I didn't keep it short, sorry that's all right no, I mean
1: i think I think the point you're raising is a really important point and and um, you know because it's like um, they're really i mean there there is so much suffering in the world, and you know this is something I, I feel sometimes I feel a little embarrassed to even talk about where I'm at because like, I know that so many people that I know are not there and, and I know how badly that sucks. Um, and, and, you know, even like, you know, what you're talking about with refugees, I mean, that's a whole nother layer of, of suck. Um, and so, so really the point of all that is that, is that um, once you, once you stop being a slave to um, just making this happy, I mean, one direction that you can go is what you were just talking about, Steve, which really is, is kind of a waste, which is to just go off and like do nothing, right? I mean, you know, you've, you've, you've achieved the state of mind where, where you have perfect equanimity where you could literally do anything. You could, you could be like shoveling out stalls um, with your bare hands and it wouldn't bother you. Probably wouldn't be a good idea for health reasons, but, but, but the point is like you can pretty much tolerate any task and there's probably some task that you could be doing and that task would reduce the suffering of living beings. So why wouldn't you do it? like you have no aversion to doing it other than like the yeah, little... It's like
3: stoicism where you're, you know, you're, you know, you're in a situation, there's a different, I think it's the wisdom you gain from it. It's like, yeah. so you're in a situation where, you know, the best job you can find is shoveling horseship, you know, it's like, okay, this is where, you know, you don't necessarily say I want to just, I'm happy to stay here for the rest of my life, but... You know, it's like okay, this is where I'm at, and yeah. this is I'm somebody gonna, needs
1: me to shovel horse shit.
3: Yeah, right. Well, that's not. It's not even that somebody. You know, it's it's what you need to do to just survive as an organism. And we, you yeah. know, you get that we're living organism, and I I don't buy the whole thing that uh, suffering is bad and that we should try to avoid suffering. I think that's that's not a flaw. That's a feature. I mean, that's what any living organism does. It's going to. You know, it's going to go towards things that are positive for it, and and a positive valence. You could say it's going to avoid things that are negative valence, and, and that's you know, uh, you know, aversion and and desire is not necessarily a bad thing in itself. You need, you need the wisdom to understand it and understand where you're using it. But I definitely think that you know you know that suffering is something you're going to have, and it's like I, I I'm not trying to avoid suffering. I don't. You know, I I'm trying to do the things in life to you know to keep suffering to a minimal. But I know I have to, I know it's going to be there. I don't right. think I can eliminate it. You know,
1: but suffering so, isn't making if love, you suffer.
3: If loves die. I'm going to suffer. It's like okay, I should be suffering. It's like that's there's nothing. You know, when something like that happens, I don't think that it's a negative or something wrong. You got to find the your humanness in the suffering. That's just my point.
1: So that alarm going off in the background is me having to go uh deal with my uh the yogurt that I'm making um if you guys want to continue I, I can just leave this open.
0: I just had one thought um for Steve um like I think I get what you're saying like from the what it sounds like is which I think I agree with actually is getting rid of all desire and aversion is actually not very useful for survival in the world as we know it. And I, I, think, I think that's what you sort of mean in a way, and I agree with that. Um, and I think it is kind of a paradox, like, um, when viewed from the perspective of just the person, like, evolutionarily, we need suffering to motivate us and like somehow short-circuiting that is probably not a very good evolutionary uh, move um, in terms of like survival. Um, and I think that's that, That's where some conflict shows up. A problem, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This
3: was my two cents. No, I, 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 I appreciate it. And I appreciate Ted's need to get yogurt and I need to go also, so. Thanks to everyone. All
1: right, thanks, everybody. Uh, Great seeing you all. See you next week,
3: hopefully.